Welcome, Elevate. How are you today? Good. Let's, let's give the Lord some praise this morning. Isn't he good this morning? Amen. I tell you, um, when I listen to music and when, I, when I'm in the, the worship mode and, and when I'm giving God his glory and, you know, and I'm back there just praying and, and just getting into the music, you know, I have an experience with God. I know that. And the Holy Spirit comes and he does something in me that I can't normally explain. Um, but it's something, it's a peaceful thing. It's a, you know, sometimes it's an overwhelming thing. And um, we all have different experiences with God. And I'm sure if I ask you the question, have you had an experience? Some of us may say, well, yeah, let me share with you about that experience and I can tell you about some pretty crazy stuff that's happened to me over my experience as a, as a Christian. Um, and we're going to get into one experience that Moses had with, um, with God, and then we'll get into our message here. Before we do, I just want to pray and let's start the, the service this way. Father, thank you for everyone here. God, I pray that your spirit would come. And Lord, I pray for an overwhelming presence, that your spirit would move in us and teach us and show us even greater things than we've seen already. Teach us your way. Help us to know you, Lord, for who you are, that we may be saved from an eternal hell. Help us to see that now, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Moses was, uh, he was raised up in the Pharaoh's house, right? And so he, he was saved for a purpose. And then later on in life, he, uh, after he killed a man and he ran off and he was kind of um, pushed away from Egypt and he was in Midian and he found his wife. And so I want to start in Exodus chapter 3, starting in verse 1. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there, or it'll be up on the screen for you. And so now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire within a bush. Moses saw, through the, though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'm going to go over there and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up. And when the Lord saw that he had gone up over to look, God called to him within the bush. And I'm going to stop and pause here just for a moment. But how many of you are parents out there? Raise your hand. Oh, man, there's a room full of parents. And there's some parents that are going to be one day. And one day your child will be off doing something that you don't want that child to do. And you may be, if you're patient and, and you know, all that at, at first, maybe. But I know as you get older, at least I had four kids. I know how this works. And I say, child, come over here. Whatever, fill in the blank. John, Billy, Sue, wh- whoever. Come over here. And then if they don't listen to you, then you get a little bit louder. Child, will you come over here? Or do this or don't do that? That's where Moses is right here. When the Lord saw that Moses had gone over to look because he didn't want him over there, God called him from within the bush. He said, Moses. And I guess, I don't know, it's in there twice. I'm thinking, Moses. 
Get away from here. And at that point, he said, do not come any closer. God said, take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. I guess he wasn't sure what that bush thing was all about. But when God called his name, not only once, but twice, and there's exclamation points behind those names, I know that he was afraid because he realized that this was the God of Jacob, the God of Abraham and of Isaac. And he was afraid. And the Lord said to him, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land. And land flowing, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now the cry of, Israel, of the Israelites, there's a lot of lights there, Israelites has reached me and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now I now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring you, whoa, how about that? I don't know what happened to it. Okay. Can you hear me now? Well, thank God for technology. <laughs> I have paper up here in case this goes out. I didn't know that thing was going to fall off of me. So anyway, here we go. So uh, where were we? And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of, out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. And when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. And I can see Moses, because Moses was, you know, I, I don't think he was really up to the task at this point. And then Moses said to God, he said this, God, I could just see him, maybe timid, a little scared still. Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And then God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites I am, has sent you, sent me to you. Wow. I'm amazed when I read that. Um, I think, you know, I, I, I have some conversations with people about a whole lot of different things. You know, I can, you know, I, I like to look at different viewpoints and, and ask people where they're coming from. And I know we have this study um, on Sunday nights, it's our small group, and we're talking about who God is, who Jesus is, and who the Holy Spirit is. And we have, you know, I was going through that material, and I have been really challenged over the last several weeks. And I remember talking uh, one Sunday, 
And it was just in a phenomenal time that we had one Sunday night in our small group. And the discussion was amazing. And then we all, you know, came out with this, this perception of God that we may not have thought about. And, you know, God was really good. And then Monday came. And I'm telling you, the devil was on my back, you know, and I was, my car was messing up. Just things were not going right at work. Just, I was in a horrible mood, you know, Monday and Tuesday. And then by Wednesday, you know, I realized something. I need to praise him. I need to praise him for car trouble. I need to praise him that the air conditioner doesn't work. I need to praise him that it's still hot in, in October or uh, September at this time point. I, I live in Mississippi. This is crazy for me even. But I was praising God. And you know, after that, I, everything was fine. I had to get my mind in check and realize that God is God no matter what happens in my life. And so this experience that Moses had was over 3,000 years ago. Some theologians say it could be up to where anywhere from 3,300 to 4,000 years ago. I don't know about y'all. I'm only 58 years old. But I tell you, that's a long time ago. If it was just 3,000 years or 1,000 years, it's still a long time ago. And I look at what God said to Moses, and I say, well, you know what? Even after 3,000 years, it seems like not much has changed in the human condition. Not much. People are still crying out. People are still suffering. People are still in bondage. Still, people are, are in sickness. Some people are having a hard time. And you may fall into the, one of those categories. Or maybe all of them. I know that I do. God is still who he says he is. And who he says he was back then. And you can look at the world today and God is still seeing and he's still hearing the countless people and wondering, the people that are, that are out there lost and wondering and crying out for help. And here we are in a church in Vicksburg, Mississippi, and some of us may be wondering, in my trouble, in my time, in all the things that I, I'm going through, in my suffering, says, how is God going to answer this? And the world is saying the same thing. Where is God? And based on the culture of the day, if you watch the news, if you read the news, if you are, are looking around your schools and, and all around your cities and towns and your home, everything that comes into us and, and that influences us, we could safely say that there is the world around us and it does not need, they, they feel like they don't even need to acknowledge the existence of God. I can do it on my own. I don't need a God to tell me what to do. There's no urgency. There's no consideration for God, for who He is, or the need to do anything to acknowledge Him. So I have these four thoughts that I wrote down. Number one is, we, you and I, are influenced by the God is no longer relevant group. There's a movement out there that says that God is not relevant for today's society. We've got technology. We've put people on the moon. We can talk to one another from one side of the earth to the other. We can even look at each other. We can see news in real time. Everybody has a smartphone, and they can 
do just about anything they want with that thing. Pull up any kind of information. You don't even have to go to the library. You can just Google it or Bing it or whatever you like or choose. So there's a lot of people out there in the world today that says that God is no longer relevant. We got this. And the second thing is we're influenced by the massive amounts of media that allows us to detach from the true reality of the life we were called to live. Because there is a life that God has called you to live, that he wants you to live, and it's in him, and it's for him. And the third, sin is replaced by tolerance and acceptance. Tolerance and acceptance. I remember a few years ago after uh, 9-11 and uh, September uh, 11th, and that was the year 2001, for all you young folks out there, um, and it's history now, but that was a long time ago even. But I remember, you know, the turmoil around all that and the terrorists and, and, and just the, the people that were afraid for their lives and just a lot of things were changing. And then I see this, bo- this bumper sticker all over that says, coexist. Has anybody seen that? Am I the only one? Do y'all remember that? So it had a lot of signs on there, these different religions and different things, and it says we ought to be able to coexist. Whatever you think, however, whatever floats your boat, you live how you want to, we're just all going to get along. And the fourth thing is this. The church in many ways has compromised true discipleship with easy believism. All you have to do is believe. I've watched my kids watch cartoons on TV. I've watched these cartoon movies. And, you know, and, and, and I watched kind of, you know, you get that, you kind of cringe, you know, at some of the messages that we let our children um, watch and, and put into their minds every day that they're in front of that TV. Because let me tell you, I don't mean, I don't want to scare you, but there's an agenda out there to capture the mind of your children. And they may have already got them. And they may even have you. But this agenda out there is that this easy believism, we come and, you know, um, the church is compromised and we teach, we're not teaching what God really wants us to teach. And we allow people to just to do whatever they want to do. But all you have to do is believe. In this case, it would be like saying that Jesus died for nothing. Now, I believe with all my heart and all my soul that Jesus bled and died for me. And I pray that's your belief as well. And I, I pray that's what you hold on to. So it brings us to the first point of this message today. And it's, I just want to say this and declare this to you this morning, that God is who he says he is. He told Moses, I am who I am. And he's speaking to us today just as he did over 3,000 years ago. I am who I say I am. And people dismiss God. They put him to the side. They take him and they put him in a box or in a closet. 
I brought this box up here, and, and we have this basic who is God. on our, it's, it's a curriculum that we go in through on our small groups on Sunday night. I'm telling you, it has, the, it has God in here. It has Jesus in here. It has the Holy Spirit in here. It has everything we need to know about who God is, who Jesus is, and who the Holy Spirit is. And that's what we're going through on Sunday nights. And you know what? A lot of us take a box very similar to this where you can go out there if you're a good craftsman and, and make a wooden one and put a lid on it and you can put God in there and you can just do whatever you want with him. You can pull him out when you need him. You can pull him out to talk to him. You can pull him out to show everybody at home that how godly you are. But this is where a lot of us put God, we put him in a box. Because we want him to be and do what we ask him to do. Who is God? Who is God? Moses found out real quick who God was. So let's answer a, a question that comes to my mind. Who is God and what is he like? And so I got some scripture references here that I want to share with you. And, you know, here, here we go. He told Moses, I am who I, who I am. Should we fear him as Moses feared him, or is he just a God of love? We, we push this um, whole idea that God is a loving God. I remember talking, that I've talked to so many people about the gospel, and, and so many different ideas are out there. I remember somebody telling me, you know, I just don't believe that a loving God would condemn or send people to hell. I just don't believe there is a hell. And I'm like, whoa, okay, you don't believe? Well, let me just be clear. Just because they don't believe or you don't believe doesn't make it not true. Because we can think all we want, but God is who he is. So is he just a God of love, a benevolent giver of gifts, or a white-bearded grandfather who just wants us to get along? And I want, to, I want to share this with you this morning. God is much more than our finite minds can ever imagine. So much more. I remember looking into the night sky years ago when I was, I was pastoring a church in a little old place called Gloucester, Mississippi. And I'd walk out and at midnight, 2 o'clock in the morning, and I'd look into this clear sky. We were out in in the country where there's no lights and all I could see were the stars. I can't see from one side of the horizon to the next with one view. And I'm thinking, wow, God is immense. He made all of that. So in Proverbs 1, 7, and this kind of goes back to where Moses, the whole story comes from, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And it says this, and this is kind of harsh. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 8.13 says, The fear of the Lord is hatred of sin or evil. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. Ecclesiastes 12, 13 says, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Fear God 
and keep his commandments. Wow, I know that's a hard thing. It's a hard concept to grab hold of. You mean I'm supposed to fear God? And in Psalm 38, 33, 8 says this, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. And there's many, many verses more in the Bible that go along with this same theme, that we are to fear God for who he is. And I know that that kind of goes against the way we've been taught about the love of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God, and that doesn't take any of that away because God is a loving God. God is a merciful God. God is a gracious God. And God loves you unconditionally and never will stop loving you because you are his creation. You are his creation. I heard an amen down there. Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So I was reading about this great theologian back in the, the 50s and the 60s and you, you may remember this, this guy, his name was John Len, Len, uh, Lennon, and um, he once wrote these words. Um, don't hate me, you Beatles lovers, okay? He said this, imagine. That's the name of the song, imagine. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us, only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Imagine there, there's no countries. It isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for and no religion too. Imagine all the people living in peace. Imagine no possessions. I wonder if you can. Hmm. No need for greed or hunger, a brotherhood of man. You may say that I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will be as one. That's John Lennon. Beautiful song. I could sing it to you, but I'm, I'm not much of a singer. But I remember way back when I was a young one that we listened to the Beatles and that was a beautiful song. It kind of serenades you and it kind of makes you kind of flow toward that kind of thinking. And I tell you, I tell you it, is a, um, it is a beautiful, there's a beautiful sentiment in this song, but it's not rooted in any truth at all. And I say that, and I don't mean to diminish the Beatles, but let me tell you, we can't put our faith in those types of people. And I want you to do something for me. You can close your eyes if you like, but I want you to stop just for a moment and imagine. Imagine it's you standing before God Almighty. Imagine it's just you and Him. Think about the awesomeness of the moment. I'm not talking about, hey, man, you know, give me a high five. God, you're so good and gracious and great. I think that's what a lot of people think. When I'm going to go to heaven, I'm going to just ask him, well, why'd you do this and why wouldn't you do that? I just don't think that if we ever stood in his presence that we would be in any position or condition to ask or 
command him to do anything. I want you to take this in mind as you imagine yourself that all glory, all power, all might, all of creation, all of praise, all power, God is all. He is who he who was and is and is to come. He's infinite. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. Only God holds all things together as he holds matter, all matter, in time within his hands. God holds all things together. Everything that you have, everything that you see, everything that you experience is because of him. Not because you grew up in this kind of family or that kind of family or you grew up with money or without money or you had all of these great things or didn't have things. All things happen because of him. The earth moves. The earth has the animals and all of creation that's all around it. It all belongs to him. Who are we to stand before him and tell him anything? brings us to our second point we need to acknowledge God or acknowledging God for who he is opens your life to every good thing he has for you the remarkable thing about God is that when you fear God you fear nothing whereas if you do not fear God you fear everything that was a quote from Oswald Chambers and here's another quote from Dennis Prager of, of today. He's, he's, uh, he, he's still alive. The remarkable thing about God is that when you fear God, I'm sorry, I'm reading the wrong one. The fear of God is a liberating emotion, freeing one from a disabling fear of evil and powerful people. This needs to be emphasized because many people see, or see fear of God as onerous rather than liberating. Not a cowering type of fear where you cower down and, and you're afraid like some of us are. Some of us may have grown up in an abusive family. Some of us may have suffered abuse in one way or another. And we walk around with this paralyzing fear and we change our lives so that we, we could just adapt to that type of fear. But God is not that kind of father. I think of, well, my father got killed when I was uh, three years old. I didn't grow up with a father. I had a, a mother and I had two brothers and two sisters. My grandparents came to live with us. And I'll tell you, my grandmother, we called her Tita. She was tough. She grew up, she came in the, up during the Depression, and buddy, I mean, when she called your name, you better come. And she, she didn't like to do it twice, but she was the, pretty much the disciplinarian in our family, and I didn't have that fatherly figure that would discipline me as maybe I ought to have because I was sometimes a pretty bad little kid. But I remember my grandmother and being afraid of her, but I know that right now I miss her terribly because all she had for me was wanting the best for me and wanting me to make the right decisions and not only me but my brothers and sisters 
And I don't know if that's your experience, but that's just a little bit I wanted to share. So, I, um, so here's some things also I wrote down. said, we as Christians must have a healthy fear of offending God through disobedience and awe and respect for his majesty and holiness. You see, God is holy. His majesty is, is it, it doesn't compare to anything we could ever think or imagine. He's God and we're not. So for the believer, that's where we are. We need to acknowledge God for who he is and then we can understand our place in his universe, our place in his economy, our place in his world. But for the unbeliever, unbeliever, the fear of God is the fear of his judgment and eternal death. And that's the eternal separation from God. As a believer, as a believer, we know God. We've had an experience with God. And we understand who He is. Or we should. But as an unbeliever, woe unto you. And I think that should drive us to say to those that we work with and those that we we meet along this way and that way and our family and our friends, we should say, you know, there's a hell. I don't want to go. And you know what? I don't want you to go either. Because God is who he says he is. Hebrews 12, 28, 29 says this. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe because God is a consuming fire. He wants every bit of you. Why? Because He loves you. Because He created you. Why would I create something and not love it? If I was a potter, which I remember doing that when I was younger. We, had, we went through pottery classes and all that in high school, and my family got into it. And, you know, you could take that clay, and you could put it on the, the thing there, and it spins, and you could mold it and make it into a vase. Or you could, there's different ways to making pottery. And I remember thinking, I can shape and form this thing any way I want to because it's what I like. But then when I mess up on it, you know what I could do? I could just smash it all up and start it all over again. But when I fix it and finish it, man, I'm thinking, wow, I did that. God created you for his pleasure. God created me for his pleasure to love him and to be with him. Because God is a consuming fire. He wants all of you. Which brings us to our last point. That acknowledging Jesus Christ as the personification of God's nature And his death for the forgiveness of our sin is the only way we can be saved. And a lot of people still ask that question. Well, what do you want me to be saved from? What should I be saved from? I remember my uncle who was a tough old Navy guy. And he was um, many years in the Navy. um, Not much bigger than I am. He was a small man like me. And uh, I remember he was tough. And he had been all over the world and... And all this, and I remember my uncle who lived in uh, Washington State would come to visit, and they were the religious 
uh, uncle and aunt, you know, that would come to town and they, they'd talk to us about Jesus and, you know, following God and all this. And, and we were like, ah, we got this, you know, no worries. We got, we, we grew up in the Greek Orthodox Church. We got this covered. We were baptized. We got, you know, you know, all this stuff. Well, I remember he asked my uh, uncle on the phone, he said, um, Ronnie, he said, have you found Jesus? And my uncle said, I didn't know he was lost. He said, and you know, my uncle was trying to be funny, and then years later, he literally did find Jesus before he died. And I praise God for that. He was a good man. So, is it the fear? It is the fear of God that reveals our place in creation. That's what this is all about. We have to understand who we are in relation to Him. We are His creation. He created us. We didn't create him. How could we possibly stand before him and tell him what to do? And once we realize our position and acknowledge our need, the cross of Jesus Christ is the only way that we could be saved. God wants us. His, he's, he wants us. We're his creation. And he wants us to be with him in heaven. Acts 7.48 says this. The Most High does not live in houses made of human hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or where will be my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? I want to swing back to Moses. And Moses, he was standing there and God was saying, I came down. I came down because I heard the cries of my people. God came down from heaven, and he wants us to be with him. Charles Spurgeon once said, But I pray you always to remember, when you think of his perfection, that his perfection of mercy as well of holiness, and perfection of love to sinners, as well as perfection of hatred of sin, and that guilty as you are, you must never doubt his affection. For he has pledged you in his heart's blood and proved his love by his death. What does that mean? His heart's blood. His son, his one and only son, Jesus, came down from heaven. God's heart came down to this earth to die, to bleed and die for you. It's the only way. It's the only way that we can go through to be with God. Philippians 2.12 says this, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Wow. What kind of message is that? Well, it's kind of serious. It's not really lighthearted. I'd like to say that it could be lighthearted. But you know, it's a heavy, heavy burden to share God's word with people. Because it's your eternal destination, your eternal life, my eternal life that's on the line. Jesus came that no, nobody would perish. 
But yet, we push him away. We put him in a box. We say we don't need him anymore. And the world is okay with that. And Satan is winning left and right the hearts and minds of our young people and people, even older people, in today's world. This is a challenge to a worldly way of thinking, to be sure. That we are to fear God. You gotta, you gotta fear Him to know Him. Then He gives you the way to life. Once you understand and put Him in His place and understand who He is, that all things belong to Him. I think about this. I thought about this earlier today. I didn't share it this morning, but have you ever, when you were younger, and maybe you're in high school, and back in the 70s when I was growing up, you know, I've been to a few of these types of parties where mom and dad were going out of town and they leave the kids by themselves. You know, they're, they're teenagers. They can take care of themselves. You know, what does that mean? Party! Invite all your friends. Why is it that we wait till the parents leave so that we can have a party? Because you can do anything you want. And get away with it. I've been to those parties. I tell you what, I, I, I feared my family too much to ever have that. Plus, my grandparents never went anyway, anywhere. Anyway. So it's kind of like we want to have the party without the owner of the house. Without the rules of the house. We want to do our own thing without having the answer to another authority. So I've got a few questions I want to ask, or statements, and there's, there's just one question. Many say, as we kind of alluded to, that the church of God is not relevant to our world as it is today. Church, I want to ask you this question. What do you say? Is God relevant for the world today? Is His message still relevant? And many say that God, the, the God of the Christian faith is dead. Is he really? Are hearts and lives and, and people's, people changed? Why are they changed? You take God away out of the equation and you have chaos. No boundaries. You can do whatever you want. Is that really a good thing? What do you say? Many say the church is overrun with religion and the true message is lost in worthless ritual. What do you say? What does the church say? How do we answer to that? And the last question. God is calling you to give up your life. And follow after Him so that you and anyone else that hears and follows may also have eternal life. How will you answer? What do you say? Are you willing to let God help you fill in those blanks of what you would say? Because one day, you will stand before Jesus. You will. And that's an appointment that you can't cancel. You will stand before the all-encompassing, all-powerful, all-majesty, all-great God before the universe. You will stand before Him. 
how will you answer him? You know, he owns it all. He owns it all. The only thing that you own on this earth, I don't care if you have a house and cars and land and boats and whatever else, you, your clothes on your back, I don't care what it is, you don't own it. It's all because of Him. The only thing that you own in this universe we call earth is the choice that you make today. That's the only thing. And you have a choice. God gave you the ability to choose Him. To accept Him for who He is. And to love Him for who He is. To praise Him for who He is. To live for Him with all that you have. Because it's His anyway. And all you have is a choice. So are you willing to turn to Christ today and say, man, I'm sorry, Lord. I've messed up. I put you in a box or I put you in a closet. I've set you aside because I, I think I got all this under control. Is that where you are today? Would you close your eyes, if you would, bow your head? If that's where you are today, <laughs> got some good news there's forgiveness for that and God can do some amazing things right now right here in this place so I want to pray with you right now and for all those that are struggling and, and haven't made that choice right now you can and if you want to pray after me please pray this prayer Father thank you for bringing me here today you predestined me to be here this hour forgive me Lord because I am undone I have set you aside I haven't put you where you need to be in my life I'm sorry that I've just messed up and I, I need your forgiveness. I ask for your forgiveness. And I ask in the name of Jesus, the blood that was shed for me, I ask for forgiveness and that I would receive that forgiveness from you at this moment. And then say, Lord, thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for loving me even though I'm, I'm worthless, I'm a mess. Thank you for loving me. And thank you for giving me all that you have. Your blood, your body. Thank you, Lord. Father, meet our needs today. Overwhelm us with your love, with your mercy, and with your grace today. Thank you. In Jesus' name. If you said yes to Jesus, would you raise your hand? Amen. Praise God. God's he's good. He's so good. You'll never be the same. Once you experience him, you'll never be the same.